Buenos dias. That's what our guest today would have greeted me with if he had ended up a Spanish teacher. Instead, he greeted me with a dram of Irish whiskey, and I am not complaining. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. Today, Jeff Spearin, global whiskey ambassador at the Dublin Liberties Distillery, joins me in an area of Dublin previously known as hell, which feels right with Friday the 13th around the corner. I was there not only to hear his story, but the phoenix-like return of Irish whiskey. But before, can you believe it's December, the holiday season? Are you looking for the perfect gift for the cocktail lover in your family? I'm making it easy. Just head over to LushLifeCocktailTours.com to buy your ticket for the tastiest tour in London. You'll be introduced to some of the most famous bars and bartenders in London, all while sipping their celebrated cocktails and learning about Soho's drinking history. So buy those gift vouchers and enjoy them later. Now let's get to that Irish whiskey. Yes. So I grew up in uh, Dublin. I'm a city centre boy um, all my life. So I live about like two miles from, from this building here. So it makes commuting in very, very easy. Uh, I've grown up, as I said, like all, all around the city. So it's always been a hugely influential aspect and in everything I wanted to do. I began working in like pubs and everything from the age of about 16 uh, in an Irish teacher's club called Club Namoon Tori. Now, why? 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 Yeah. And it was like the first opportunity that someone, you're, I was 16, so, and I didn't want to work in retail. I was too slow paced. And I wanted to do something that was kind of fast paced, moving on my feet, talking, meeting people. I was quite energetic. I think at one stage I was like playing 11 different sports. And my parents were like, you need to pick <laughs> some of these that you actually want to do. Because I was quite active. I probably had high energy levels and I needed to be told to curtail them somewhat. So uh, being working in bars was something that probably just spoke to me instantly and it's probably why I grabbed the opportunity with two hands and, and I really enjoyed it you know what like, were you doing first in the bars uh, cleaning out broken glass bins oh, yeah. uh, which I often say is like they're like what do you need to be a global brand ambassador and I was like well firstly make sure that you've cleaned out your fair share of broken glass bins and then from there it's pretty much easy because if you could do that without cutting your hands over and over again then it's or don't be too snotty to do that don't be too snotty yeah. to do that. that's it it's humble beginnings you know and like I started doing that and then worked in bars worked behind bars did loads of events um, and then like that was weekend work while I was while I was a kid we used to get paid cash in hand like it was definitely off the books mm. so maybe don't include the name of the people uh, when we go live but yeah, we had, a, we had a really good relationship. He was a great guy. They, they gave me really good insight into uh, the workings of bars. And then when I was going into, then I kind of quit because I was kind of finishing my studies. I was in secondary school and I was trying to get into college. So I kind of left that on the back burner. I was committed to do other things, did the odd little pick, picked up shift or whatever. So when I was actually in college, though, I was like fully working as a bartender in a local bar. Um, but this was way before cocktail culture hit hit Dublin. You know, I'm talking about 2009, 2010, where it so what have been, kind of things were you making? Yeah, it was like literally like if you had a, if you had a slice of lemon in your gin and tonic, that was a cocktail. You know, like <laughs> if you have like rum and coke, like cocktail. You know, yeah, like Cuba Libre kind of stuff. Anything that had two words, yeah, anything like gin, and tonic, yeah, yeah, gin and tonic, rum and coke. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty basic. But I was like very young, but I was managing the function room as part of that, which was quite cool. So they gave me a lot of responsibility 
But I went from bartender at 16 to lounge boy at 18 and then actually I worked a lot. I love the title, lounge boy. Lounge boy. That? It's the best thing ever. Uh, you just talk to people and empty ashtrays okay. and you get tipped for it. So it's quite good. And like, obviously you get like to lift a lot of heavy kegs, which is not as enjoyable, but it was a cool experience and it was right beside my house. So I used to work weekends while my friends were out and then I would just go out like midweek. So then which is kind of how I do it nowadays. Like I go out midweek and I really don't go out on like Friday and Saturday. It's like too busy. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm when you'll find me in like a dark corner drinking like a half pint of something and a whiskey rather than like in a high energy club or anything. So I think that stems probably from, from in and around that. And that I was there for like two years, uh, or two or three years. It was really, 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 it was, it was probably too casual. Like it was too con- um, convenient to be there. So I then, Part of my university degree was, well, I studied Spanish, so I was actually given the opportunity to move to Spain. And there I, I did that, and I was actually in a pub talking to someone in, like, broken Spanish, and someone goes, you're not from Spain, where are you from? I was like, I'm Irish, do you speak English? Yes, I speak English. Would you like to teach? So then I started teaching English while I was on my Erasmus, which I still quote today using parts of that as being an ambassador, because I actually write out, like, plans lesson plans on educational tools so i've taken a little bit of like the madness of lounge boying and the chattiness a little bit of the like educational aspect from teaching and then um left to left spain and went straight to california i worked wait 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 wait, 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 wait. yeah hold on yeah slow down i know it was mad okay i, I did I, a wait, lot i have a, <laughs> I have a couple of questions in there yeah so when you were working at the bar yeah. before you were going to spain yes did you ever think this could potentially be my career? Or were you all about, at that point, Spanish? Or, you, um, had, you know, what were you thinking? My, I actually, I had the idea that I wanted to travel. I travel a lot and I got really into it. And I was like, do you know what I'd like to do? I was studying Spanish. I was like, I'd like to be a Spanish teacher. I'm going to teach Spanish. And in Ireland, we get three, they get three months off for summer. So I was like, I get to work nine months of the year, actually less because of all the holidays you get. So I'd like, I'd like, I work eight months of the year. I travel for three months. I get to do this. I get to do that. And so fully my thought process was, I'll be a teacher. And then when I was through college, I kind of thought... A teacher in... Like a, like a, a second, Spanish teacher? Yeah, yeah. Like oh, a second, Spanish teacher yeah, here in Yeah, Ireland. in Ireland. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or wherever, oh, you know. Wherever. I wasn't, so okay. I was like, I finished this degree and that's what I kind of want to do. And the bar thing was just a supplementary addition. But then I got a job when I came back from Spain in the Guinness Storehouse. That's when I really got into the branding side of things. Like, you know, it's a very impressive building really immerses you in the kind of history and culture of the Guinness family. Was this going to be just a part-time job? This was like, I came back from Spain, I needed uh-huh. work, and my okay. friend worked there. But I, and the way my doing? degree, the way my degree worked, I had very little modules left to do. So okay. I lo- I worked like four days a week uh, in the Guinness storehouse. What and were it was, you doing? It was, it, it was bartending initially, and then it was loads of events, and it was a lot of like beer advocacy and private events talking about the different variants of Guinness that they had at the time. They were kind of moving into craft beer world and they wanted to bring out some different stuff. So a lot of it was private events. A lot of it was just bartending, but it was chat, chat, chat. Now with bartending at the Guinness Storehouse, is that just pouring pints? No, we did cocktails. We used to have like competitions. I mean, again, it was pretty yeah. simple stuff, but it was, uh, it was a good opportunity to like, we get, I mean, there's a million over a million people go in there every yeah. year. So it's a huge shop window. And like Diageo have a full portfolio at the time they wanted us to, to talk about. So there was cocktails. Uh, we would do lo- lots and lots of private events. We would host 
different things. But yeah, it was a lot about Guinness. Like we used to, you know, <laughs> we were younger lads and we would be able to like write our phone numbers into pints of Guinness. Or I'd be like, where are you from? I'm from California. Like write California in no, the pint like, and hand it to people. They're like, this is the coolest thing it's ever. Like it, latte art. Yeah, la- yeah like, we, we were Guinness like, latte yeah, art. Guinness latte art is literally what we were doing. It was, a, it, we thought it was pretty funny. Um, I love that idea. I wonder if they still do it. Yeah, if you go to the Guinness storehouse, they probably do. Yeah, but we had some of the guys were incredible. Or like Starbucks, they put your yeah, name yeah, yeah. on it, like but Susan. Here's yeah, your yeah. Pint. We were like, what's your name? It's like right. it's my birthday. What age are you? Like thirty two. Cool. But like there was guys who took it really seriously and could do like snowmen at Christmas, um, like ghosts and like you know really really got into the thing. I definitely could just do my name certain states in the US, certain countries, and then like the Only phone. Only if someone is the, named Jeff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the phone number one was a particularly funny one that we would do. And people would be like, what is that? Like, you know, and most of the time it was a joke. It would be like, I wouldn't do my number, I would do my friends or something. Right. You know, the guy I was working with. Unless but, it was a really hot girl or something. Maybe. Yeah. That's here nor there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was really high energy. I made huh. a great team. So like, there was a great team working element to it. Was it so were you like, um, okay, was like, Guinness? Spanish, Guinness Spanish, Wayne Randolph. Were you still really. wrong? It was Spanish? more like it was more like I was studying Spanish fully in university, but looking at the drinks world as a bigger piece than simply um, being a bartender yeah. in a bar in a pub. Calling it a bar, it was a pub, an Irish pub, um, and looking at going. There's a bigger picture here, mm-hmm. and Irish whiskey at the time was literally like, wow, this is incredible. So many new things happening, and it was a relative said to me. Jeff, do you know there's a program called IBEC that do a global graduate scheme and get people like yourself into international companies? And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, look it up. So I, there's this, anyway, it, it exists. And what they don't, they don't just simply hire people for alcohol companies. It's like a total mix of, like, you have a biomedical engineer with a scientist, with a HR person, with a brand ambassador, with whatever else. So I applied, got to the final stages and uh, didn't get the job. Oh. And I was like, God damn, I really want to do this. So I was like up sticks. And the jobs were all based in the US. And I had done a summer in California. And I was kind of obsessed with America at the time. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go to America anyway. I'm a graduate. I've got nothing tying me down. I don't know, no ties to Ireland at present. So I left. I went to Florida for a year. I worked in a, co- in a private country club in a cocktail bar. And because of that was the bit I was missing to the link, to the, to the whole, I felt as though being a brand ambassador, I had the, the like alcohol experience. I kind of knew how the industry worked a little bit or naively thought so. And then I was like, right, I'll go to the US, I'll figure out this cocktail thing. And also spending more time in the US will benefit me to a suitor of brand ambassadorial work the year after, because you can only apply to this program for two, two year, within two years of graduation. So the, time, the, the clock was very much ticking. And so I came back from, I, pl- I was offered a job in Boston as a bartender, um, d- declined it, and then t- applied for this role, uh, p- applied through IBEC to get my, uh, to get the job that I okay, had. Okay, okay, wait a second, wait a second. Got to go back. There are, you know, 50 states. Yeah, yeah. Why, Why Florida? Florida? Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with Florida. Uh, I'm just wondering mean, what led like, you. Like, obviously the orange juice right. and the limes. Because you loved uh, Bucks yeah, Fizz. I love, yeah, I love oh. Bucks Fizz. Um, no, I think... The opportunity came about through a company called Work Away. Work, sorry, Work Abroad. God, Work Away. Anyway, I can't remember the name of it now. But they were the people who I worked with at Guinness who'd been on this program, and they just come back. 
So they lured me in oh, and said, Jeff, if you're going to come to Florida, yeah. you work 40 hours a week. And if you don't work 40 hours, they'll pay you for 40 hours. And it's sunny all the time. And you'll do this. And, and the, oh. country, the country clubs hire a tremendous amount of Irish people on a H2B2 visa. Okay. So that was why Florida. And it was an incredible experience. Like, don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved it. But they, I thought like Miami, like Fort Lauderdale, like I was in a place called Vero Beach, which we nicknamed Zero Beach. Like it was very much retirees, old, Uber didn't exist. So we couldn't get taxis anywhere. Like No, but you said you went there to get this cocktail. Yeah. Sorted. Yeah. Were you able to make more than just the gin and tonic or yeah, the I mean, Cokes? No, I, I, like the beauty of of YouTube is that you can buy a bottle of various bits and bobs and start to learn and make and practice and I kind of probably interviewed in to say I interviewed and said oh yeah I can make all these drinks which meant that I had to then learn how to make all these drinks uh, and very fortunately I had an amazing guy who was, my, who was my roommate and kind of I suppose mentor a guy called Glenn who has been in Florida since has done you know gone on to do really cool things there has turned around the menu and done a lot of interesting things so he then kind of undertook me and walked me through and taught me a lot about uh, cocktails, about serves. He had loads of books on it, so I used to literally room with him. We probably had the dirtiest apartment in the whole place. But we were in the party room, the two bartenders, like, you know, we were living together, all the cliches you can imagine. And a lot of it I learned from, from him, and I was like, right, again, it was probably, you're probably talking, make the 10 classics with little twists. It wasn't too crazy what our objective was. Uh, very, very fancy kind of country club. These people drank the same thing over and over again. My role is to know, Mr. Johnson, Grant, I know that he drinks this. Right. So by the time he gets to the bar, there it is. Yeah. You know, so uh, a lot the of hospitality the hospitality part, part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was cool because they were really into their wines and really into their spirits. So I learned a lot about spirits and a lot about wine, which obviously I wouldn't have done at the Guinness storehouse. So I would have learned way more about right. beer and been obsessed with beer. So even learning about various different types of American bourbon, American whiskeys, uh, learning loads about wine and terroir, which I've all forgotten since because I don't care for wine anymore and I'm all about whiskey. Um, but even mezcals, tequilas, stuff that was kind of predicted to be on trend, rums, all this sort of stuff predicted to be on trend, which is currently on trend. I was learning about way beforehand. And then, yeah, like I wanted to reapply Um the role was based in London, which was which was different because I looked at quintessential brands. I looked at all the companies that were mm -hmm. available and I said, right, there was like Tullamore Dew, Teeling, um, Walsh Whiskey. There was loads. I mean, there was loads. There was loads. So one of the cool things with quintessential brands is that they were just beginning their kind of whiskey arc. And what I really liked was that nobody was in the role before me, which meant that I could go in and own it. So there was a... And literally made up the role as I went along. Like, and what was this exact role? So it was a brand ambassador for UK and Ireland. Okay. Um, for all for, of their brand or just the just whiskey? Just the whiskey, yeah, just, just the, whiskey. the whiskey. So I was the first ambassador they ever hired across any of their really? portfolio. So Quintessential Brands, if you don't know, has a, quite an extensive portfolio. Mm -hmm. They own an, an English gin distillery called G&J &J in Warrington. They produce some of the UK's best gins. Uh, they have a cream liqueur, which I believe is a word. And they produce like 60% of the Irish cream globally. They have a French cognac liqueur plant. And then when I joined, they didn't have a distillery. They had a lot of whiskey brands. So they, when I moved to London, like we didn't even have distribution. I was going around with a satchel of whiskey to people and very much out in the street. We call it, you know, pounding the pavement, going out there and, and preaching the good word of whiskey. So it was, it was a role that 
definitely taught me a lot. Like quintessential brands is pretty entrepreneurial led. You know, you have to have a bit of drive. It's very much go out and get them. Um, it's an eight-year-old company started by two two guys, uh, Enzo Vizzoni and Martin mm-hmm. Scott. So to, to, when I joined London office, there was like one office, 25 people. And now it's even in London, it's two floors, 40 odd mm-hmm. people. They employ 300, you know, it's crazy how much it's exploded in my three years in the business. And to see the whiskey evolution from when I joined to to now is absolutely incredible. Like we're in the literal bricks and mortar of hard work and graft for, for all that period of time. So Did you then write off Spanish teacher? That's it? Uh, yeah, you pretty quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because, sorry, do you know what, actually? To be a teacher in Ireland, you have to do two years. It's called a higher diploma, HD. Uh, it's two years and it's practically unpaid. So they changed the rule while I was studying. And that was a hugely driving factor. I was like, I don't want to work for nothing for yeah. two years. So, yeah, that's kind of why the Spanish thing eventually faded away. So you're away. a brand ambassador who speaks Spanish. I'm a brand ambassador who speaks, right. yeah, semi-fluent yeah. Spanish. Fluent when I'm drunk and semi-fluent <laughs> on, a, on another daily basis. So, yeah, uh, it's just come handy a few times. Uh, not that we sell a lot of whiskey in Spain, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's good fun. It's good fun. And, it's, I'm, like, if you've ever met me, I don't look like I would speak Spanish. I'm very, very pale. Like, I'm the quintessential Irish guy. So when I moved to Florida, there was people who, very Spanish-speaking community, um, like kitchen porters and stuff would be slagging us off and talking crap about us and then after like a week of listening to it I just turned around and I was like in Spanish you know like you be very very careful when you're talking about me because I've been understanding everything you've been saying and they were just like oh my god so you're one of us yeah, but actually they really took me in after that so I was like the closest one with, with the whole team it was always good fun and um, we would just yeah we'd make jokes about other people and stuff and they're just like and then people when it happens you know even friends and stuff they forget and they're like oh yeah that's so random like yeah and i lived in the most random part of spain like it wasn't a glamorous city it was a place called ciudad real and it probably made your spanish better yeah it did it was like, it was like and it was all students so mm-hmm. there's like fifty thousand people live in this city Seventy thousand people live in the city and there's like fifty thousand of them are students oh, yeah it's ridiculous and they're all like farmers and it's all spanish and that's why i got a job teaching english so yeah but it was it was a bizarre time mm-hmm. and i had a lot of fun doing it it was tough to go but then the world keeps moving. You have to find different opportunities. And so you're in London as this brand ambassador for yeah. a lot of the Irish whiskey. Yeah, the, it, the was, whiskey it, it was. It was. It was a liqueur. It was four whiskeys. So we're oh. 14 now. So it was four whiskeys at the time. And yeah, the driver was we need um, to, you know, brand ambassador work. I suppose or totally geared towards uh, brand education, managing your own kind of awareness, advocacy, doing some um, engagement pieces, working towards kind of influencer marketing, PR. And London at that time was absolutely electric. Like I loved it personally. You know, I was moving to a much bigger city. Like Dublin is a collection of towns. Like London is a collection of cities built together, which is massive. So I just dived straight in and got to know a hell of a lot of people really, really quickly. Like there's a great Irish community, but the overall hospitality community in London are fantastic. Like they're so welcoming to anyone new. Like, I'm, a new, I'm the new ambassador for the Dublin Irish Whiskey. You probably haven't heard of it. They're like, no, I haven't. Cool. All right, let's sit down. Do you know who you need to meet? You need to meet uh, James or you need to meet Sean. And like, that's kind of how it all worked out really, really quickly. And then there was a lot of shows that we would have done. So that got me traveled all over the UK, gone to York and Manchester, Liverpool. I had a lot, a lot of time in Newcastle, a lot of time in Scotland trying to sell Irish whiskey, which was always a bit, a bit of fun. Did they laugh you out of the... Uh, yeah, there was a couple of, couple of times where I was like very politely told not to 
But as I, I, not I, to ever come back. Yeah, not to ever come back. <laughs> but one of the funniest things on those is that we have a honeycomb whiskey liqueur, which you've tried and you know is infectiously delicious. So people would like snub at me and with my blended Irish whiskies and honeycomb liqueur. And then they would circle back around with their clean glass and say, I've heard you have this incredible, amazing liqueur. Can I please try it? I'm like, of course you can. And we used to sell, like the shop used to run out of, we used to sell at the, at the shows and they would literally run out immediately, like straight away. And every week the numbers went up. So it was like 18 the first week, 24 the next week, 30, 36, 50, 80, 100 bottles. Like they, people, cannot, it's like people cannot get enough of it. So I became known as the liqueur guy for a while. <laughs> I was like, I need to become a credible whiskey ambassador. This is really ruining it. So a lot of that, then you throw in the cocktail element, you throw in the educational aspect. Uh-huh. And um, the, the, the program puts you in place for 18 months. And then after 18 months, the company can then decide whether or not they want to keep you or whether they say, thank you very much and best of luck in the future. And that's one of the things with quintessential brands is that, yes, they were brand new and there was no one in the role previously, but I looked at that as a, as, a, as, a, as a bonus, you know, like bigger companies can churn you in and churn you out and they know they have this next cohort coming in wave after wave. Whereas quintessential brand said, Jeff, uh, we're going to make, there's an offer here, we're going to give you the global ambassador role. We're opening a whiskey distillery, as you know, and we want you to stay in London for six more months, help us launch the Dead Rabbit Irish Whiskey, and then go back home to Dublin and help with building um, an educational program, an awareness program. We're going to have a base in Dublin and then go from there to, to take on a new challenge. So they moved me from regional to global very quickly. Uh, so I was their first ambassador, first global ambassador, which has been really exciting. And being able to visit the markets that we go to and see how much it's blown up in the last 18 months has been really exciting. And been part of a lot of whiskey launches. Um, being able to sit in like the bricks and mortar, showcasing the longevity of where we want to be, like it's one thing to be a, a bottler and a blender of whiskey. It's another thing to be a, a fully for, a fully certified whiskey distillery. And our stock has gone up massively as a result of that. Like people stop, pay attention, and recognize. We were the 25th distillery to open in Ireland, um, which is huge compared to there only being three. Right, well, first, first, yeah, because we haven't even mentioned the distillery. Yeah, of course, everyone will know because yes. I will have already written about it. But um, of course, should we talk about? Because I'm not sure which came first. Where we're sitting here, Dublin Liberties, yeah. or the Dead Rabbit whiskey? Um, no, whiskey. the Dead Rabbit whiskey came first. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I was here one April. It was like April 2017. Uh, I was sat in here, and we had Jack McGarry and Sean Muldoon, the, the co-founders mm-hmm. of the Dead Rabbit uh, Grocery and Grog in New York. And I think Gillian Vose may have been there, the director of drinks for them. I can't remember if she was there or not. But they were here. And we were trying iterations of what is now the Dead Rabbit Irish whiskey brand and coming up with um it was, it was incredible for me i mean i was there with them we were sitting we were standing in where the bar is now but it was not what the bar looks like now it was like a dilapidated old building and um, that someone had tried to, to rejuvenate but hadn't so uh that was an incredible project to be brought into and to try and to talk to those guys because they're they're icons within irish whiskey so they have a totally different slant and my like minimal cocktail knowledge really had to be brought up a gear when talking anything dead rabbit because those guys are you know so so on point so meticulous with their both their brand and their cocktail design and everything that they, they do and they function with so um we launched that in the US in February it's the 18th of February I want to say which was the fifth anniversary of the bar which is why it's a five-year-old blended okay. whiskey uh, even though 70% of it is nine years old you know so we threw in a little bit of five-year-old in there 
to celebrate the five-year birthday. It was also John Morrison's birthday, which is when they launched in 2013. And it's Paul McCartney's birthday. And it's legendary well. Paul McCartney, yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, so th- that was an amazing project to be a part of. But the f- I always laugh because, like, people who know me know that mixology and cocktails, like, again, that my limit sort of is there. Whiskey is way more, like, malt whiskey. Talking about single malts and talking about whiskey itself is kind of where I kind of shine through better. So I often, when I travel internationally and where there's a language barrier, like recently I was in Russia at the Moscow Bar Show, which is in St. Petersburg, strangely enough. And I was mistaken for the global ambassador for Dead Rabbit the Bar. And I was trying to get across in the language thing. I was like, no, 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 I don't work for the bar. I represent the whiskey, which is totally separate. And he was like, yeah, okay, no problem. We have a talk about you on stage. So we're going to bring you in and you can present, you know, something. I said, no, 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 no. Sorry. I work for the whiskey. I don't work for the bar. And he was like, okay, cool. So I, I, anyway, I thought nothing of it. And um, yeah, he came, they were, I came back like from lunch or something and they said, Jeff, you know, you're needed on stage five. I was like, no guys, seriously, I don't work for, this is a total, this is a complete mix up. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. Just get out there. So I had to sit through an entire presentation in Russian. It was about bar menus, building the perfect bar menu. He did like 25 slides on the dead rabbit grocery and grog cocktail menu, which is really impressive. Uh, more impressive looking at it in a slideshow. But uh, then at the end, he's like, and we have here from the bar, all the way from New York, Jeff Spear and their global ambassador. And I get up and he's like, by the way, it's recording live, go. And I was just like, uh, I'd just like to say a few things. Uh, yeah. We have a great we bar. Have a great, yeah, yeah. So I think I literally just said like Jack and Sean and Gillian like a hundred times, right. just to reiterate that this is not, <laughs> I don't work for the bar. Uh, I wouldn't be fit to cut the lemons in that place. So... <laughs> Um, that you know, so uh, but they're really cool because I said the story to them, and they're like, "Look, if you want to get some training, we'll bring you over to New York, and we'll get it done." Yeah. And every time you're in Moscow, now that you're yeah, famous, I know, you're I know. Petersburg, pe- people were taking selfies of me at the end yeah. and asking me to sign stuff, and I was like, "I can't do this. This is gonna, this is gonna be, this is gonna hurt my brand <laughs> really badly." So we're here, yes, yeah. at this amazing distillery. Yes, talk me through the process of how it started, the mm-hmm. building, everything. I'm gonna hear everything. Okay, cool. So the whole thing began in 2015. Purchased the site. It was a painted white, really shoddy looking building with a, a kind of half built structure in the back, and then a big courtyard. And the idea when I joined that, that was what it was like. And they were like, "This is where the distillery is going to be." And I was scratching my head, going. Did I make the right choice in, uh, in, in companies here? Well, obviously, they made the right choice. They hired me. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. So then through the process from 2015, there was a number of issues we had to kind of circumvent in order to get where we are today. So a number of raising the capital required to build a distillery. I think it cost about 12 million, or 10 million to build this facility that we're in now, um, which was on budget. And it was slightly over scheduled. I think it took 14 months instead of 12, which was great. It so, always does. Yeah, it always does. But like even staying within that period was fantastic. So um, the building, when you come into the distillery, which you're all welcome to, on 33 Mill Street uh-huh. in, in the Dublin 8 uh, area known as the Liberties, uh, you will walk through a building that has been stripped of its shoddy white paint and exposing the original brickwork that is 400 years old. So um, you'll see that it is a kind of hosh, hodgepodge mix of slate and granite and sandstone and whatever else they could have put together to keep this building standing over the last period of time. So um, we're on Mill Street. The building was previously a mill. It was also a tannery where they used to skin rabbits. We only found that out after we launched the Dead Rabbit Irish Whiskey, of course. So sometimes these things are just uh, just meant to be. And really the whole thing, once it 
once it got up and running, you know, it just felt like it was just happening so fast. Everything was moving really quickly. All of the equipment, though, had to be like craned in over the original building. Um, I guess you put in the roof last. Yeah, the, the roof. Yeah, the roof was last. I mean, we launched on the we launched in February. We launched February nineteenth this year, and like February eighth, we had people over the week before, and they were like, "This won't be ready." We're like, it will be ready. It'll be fine. I mean, we were literally painting the walls while people were entering the building. You know, that last lick of paint was done and dusted. So it's been amazing to be a part of the growth of this and to see it from not day one, but like to see it from a couple of bottles of whiskey to being this actual bricks and mortar building. Uh, We've got like a full tour, which you've been on and loved, I hope. Uh, You've seen the amazing cocktail bar that we have, the whiskey bar, that that's open to the public. You know, we want to make this a hub we want to make it an educational center of excellence of all things whiskey, but also a place that people can just come to and relax in. You know, we want the bar to be a destination venue within Dublin city center. Uh, the Liberties is hopping right now. It's very what, vibrant. You you mentioned the Liberties. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Why the Liberties? There, you know, Dublin mm. is a big city. Why did you have it here? Yeah. So the Liberties is uh, like the, I suppose the like, historical and cultural history of, of Dublin whiskey is based here in the Liberties. There was an area known as the Golden Triangle of Distilleries, which would have been around the early 18 and 1900s. There's 37 distilleries within this district, and there was even more breweries. Part of that was because anything that was perceived to be kind of stinky and smelly was outside the old Dublin city walls. So that was inside those walls was known as the Pale. And immediately outside that, one of the first districts was, was the Liberties. And, and the kind of Dublin whiskey was booming, it was kicking off. It was the most popular spirit globally, I think it took up like 60 or 70% of the overall market share. And um, unfortunately, low to socioeconomic issues and what have you. There's a huge historical benefit. But Irish whiskey and indeed the whiskey of Dublin and the Liberties completely faded away. So part of this, what I call the rise, demise and renaissance of Irish whiskey. When did it start fading away? The early uh, start of the 20th century. Why do you think that was? Yes. I mean, Irish people are quite stubborn. Um, I don't know if you know that. But there was a guy called Anais Coffee. Sorry, don't want to blame this guy completely. But Anais Coffee was a half yes. French, half Irish uh, tax and excise man. He was also very intelligent and often gets misquoted as having created the coffee still. He didn't. He just patented it and improved an existing design. And he went to Irish whiskey distillers with this concept of producing a much faster, more efficient spirit, which they said, nope. Um, and he went off to Scotland and they adopted it. So what Scotland could do is produce lots and lots of whiskey. Now, that didn't crumble Irish whiskey completely. You had, uh, you, had a civil, you had a separation from the UK, which eliminated, obviously, a massive amount of their market. We had uh, internal issues whereby a government had never been established, so they didn't know how to tax whiskey accordingly. And then, of course, you had uh, prohibition in the US. So with prohibition... It wasn't that we couldn't sell to, to whiskey to the US. It was actually that Ireland itself was going through a bit of a temperance movement at the time. And so therefore the government stopped, you know, they just declined selling whiskey. The Scottish guys had no such issues. They were pumping it over. But because Irish whiskey was so popular at the time, there was bootleggers making like illicit Irish whiskey uh, that was kind of full of methanol and other, you know, impurities that was killing and blinding people. And so much so you've got generations of Americans afraid of Irish whiskey that a company, very established Irish whiskey company, had to make advertisements to say that their whiskey wouldn't kill you or blind you in the 60s, 1960s. So late. Yeah, so that's still, you know, so there's this huge generational aspect of of people who are like, Irish whiskey is literally for the devil and I won't go near it and it's a poor quality spirit, which thankfully nowadays, of course, is not the case. 
even um, though you know there's another a few brands that were here yeah yeah that did phenomenally well yeah i mean like you can you you know you've got powers of distillery up the road which is now the national college of art and design which again kind of showcases what the liberties is about it's about uh, creativity you've got lots of creative hubs all around this area national college of art and design so it's become a very cultural part of dublin mm. as well which is quite cool um and it's kind of it ties back into a lot of that. We've got uh, a lot of neighbours, a lot of whiskey distilling neighbours. We have four distilleries in Dublin. We had no distilleries from, I think it was 1975 until 2015. Um, and now we've got four, which is fantastic. So there is a bit of a bubble it's happening. such a renaissance. Yeah, it's, and that's why I talk about the rise, demise and uh-huh. renaissance. And we're most certainly in that renaissance now. And like I always tell people that, like one of the things I always ask before I do a whiskey tasting is what's your go-to Friday night staying in whiskey? People will say whatever, blah, 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 you know. The Oak Devil, Dublin Every's Oak Devil. And I'm like, great. Um, what I want you to do is this Friday, buy another bottle, buy something else. Because there's never been more premium Irish whiskies in the market than right now in the last 100 years. And there's so many interesting bottlings happening, so many cool distilleries, independent um, bottlers and bonders happening. That this, And it's very competitive, which means that people don't get away with producing complete rubbish they have to produce high quality stuff and it, everyone has to rethink the game and you've even got like the category leaders you know Jameson have been flying the flag for for, for an incredible amount of time um, and can, keeping the category relevant that now their game has to go up a level because they have to you know they they need to compete with what everyone else is producing so um, there's a very friendly competition like I always always say that my biggest competitor is not um, any other Irish whiskey brand but rather it's American whiskey, Scotch whiskey. You know, I talked about Irish whiskey having 60%, 70% of the global overall pie back in the early 1900s. It's now about 4%. So there's a long, long way to go and reclaim. Growing and growing yeah, it's, it's the fastest growing brown spirit in the world. Um, it was the fastest growing spirit category in the world re- until Mezcal kind of shot off. But those numbers are so small that it's quite like insignificant overall. But yeah, Irish whiskey, the one, the one, the one thing I always say is you know it's not a bubble because uh, all the major players in the alcohol industry are investing now. You know, um, Diageo, Pernod Ricard, obviously, William Grant, Brent Foreman, Bacardi. These players are all involved in Irish whiskey because they see it just going like that. So So quintessential brand, sorry, of course. Of course, that was... That goes without saying. Exactly. Um, So they had this concept. They have this distillery. They're pumping a lot of money in it. How do you know... When you have the right liquid to begin with, like that first one, yeah, you know yeah. how what the beauty. How of long that did that take? Is uh, the expertise and the experience in the background. So, mm-hmm. like a lot of what I do is represent the distillery and represent the people who work within that. And one of the the, the key leaders and drivers of that is our master distiller, a guy called Daryl McNally. So, I'm um, thinking back to 2011. We had three distilleries on the island of Ireland, and um, you know we have one of those kind of OG master distillers working with us uh, Daryl spent 17 years at Bush Mills as, as the head distiller there uh, and then he came over in 2015 as this project was really beginning and oversaw the construction of the distillery the procurement of the liquid um, the design of how the blends and everything would go so what's fantastic is that yes there was whiskey available to buy but we were able to both get the very best of the best and then utilize that in creating the best blends and creating the best um single malts which of course can be blended together so long as that's from a single distillery and then the types of casks that we're using to, to finish our whiskey and even how Dead Rabbit came about you know Daryl is from from Bushmills he would have had a lot of dealings with Jack and Sean previously and um, which is possibly how the whole thing came about as well but 
you know, Daryl has won numerous awards. Uh, I think in 2010, he won the highest mark in the whole in the whole world for uh, the Worshipful Company of Distillers. Uh, his whiskies have obviously gone on to win a massive amount of awards. And working with him has been a serious pleasure of mine. Uh, he's a very, very interesting character. He's a very humorous character. He's a fountain of knowledge in all things whiskey. And really, you know, he's, his name's on every bottle. He's the backbone of, of what the company is and what the distillery is. And someone that you obviously, you know, you, you want to work from continuously. So he he knows Irish whiskey phenomenally well. He's, he's all about single malt, as you can imagine, from, from Bushmills, man. Um, so what we have is, a, is a, an eclectic mix of 14 whiskies that kind of takes you through an A to Z journey. You know, I was talking to you off, off mic about how we, we, I did some work with Borbia. I went to a thing, Borbia is the Irish Food and Drink Board. I went to an event of theirs and they were showcasing how they took a sample of 2,000 people from the US, China, Japan, I think it was Singapore, and they were like, when do people drink whiskey and what's the occasions? And it was a really cool bit of, I mean, data, you can bore you, but this was actually really cool data and numbers. And it was that Irish whiskey consumers tend to drink it on these occasions, the six occasions. So it was to unwind, to connect, energize, indulge, impress, and explore. Now, we'll go into that in a minute if you want, but if you think about that, right, we've got 14 whiskeys. Do they fit and where do they fit in within those drinking occasions? And actually, by chance, really, we've sort of seamlessly fitted in a lot of those. And but did you want did you want to start with all of that? No. Or did you want to have two signature ones at first and then grow? You know, what was that? Yeah, we thing? had so we, we had a Dubliner blend, mm-hmm. which is our our um our sort of entry level whiskey if you if you want to call it that. It's it's a three year old blended whiskey finished in American bourbon barrels. Uh, part of the Dubliner range also had a the liqueur which I spoke about, and then it had a, t- a ten year old single malt, which we've which we've since discontinued. But that range has grown, and then we had the Liberties range. So what we have is a, a, an accessible, palatable, approachable Irish whiskey that's kind of quintessentially Irish, which is the Dubliner. And then we had a more premium variant, which mm-hmm. was our which was our Liberties brand. So it was the sister to Dubliner, and that's where we could do a little bit more exploration. And, and obviously now the Dead Rabbit is a third um, layer to our to our brand world. So I think we had blends and malts always, and then we just sort of separated them to say, right, this has a facility to be a Irish whiskey that's accessible to everyone. Category's growing. We want new entrants. So we want something palatable and approachable, both in terms of like price point and flavor profile, which I think we've successfully done. And um, we've worked with some breweries and created a beer cask series, which is very interesting. We've done some bizarre flavors like Irish coffee stouts. And um, we're working with the guys called Rascals who are also based in the Liberties. Actually, sorry, they're based, well, yeah, they're around the corner, Dublin 8, same, same district. Same postcode, Dublin's very small. And we worked with them. So next year we're producing a, a smoked stout version of our beer cask finish. We're doing a, they created a blonde ale that tastes like an old fashioned cocktail. Mm. So then they put that beer into a barrel and then now we're putting our whiskey into those barrels to produce a whiskey finished in a barrel that held a beer that tastes like an old fashioned. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty, it, I, I had the beer yesterday. They just launched it. It's incredible. And yeah, it's, it's anything, full of that, tastes like an old anything that tastes like an old fashioned. So you can imagine that when a whiskey is then matured in this barrel, oh. what what the end goal is going to be. So part of the cool the cool thing about this company, particularly and the distillery, is that we get things done very quickly. There's not huge hierarchical problems. If we have an idea, we act we act on it and it gets done. You know, Dublin just won uh, five in a row 
um, there's a GAA men's football and the women won three in a row GAA men's football which had never been done before and we produced a, a one-off bottling of 600 bottles of this and we turned it over in two weeks you know the game was on they won the game and we, we, we got the whole thing done and, and that's just kind of testament to where what we do and how we operate obviously we don't want to be doing things like that all the time we do have more strategic long-term plans but uh, we like to look at the liquid that we have and, and try and make sure that we, we're, we're not over-releasing and we're not under-releasing and that we stay relevant and current. And the cool thing with what we have presently is that it really does fit a lot of different edges to us. You know, we're using, we're not going like crazy, crazy, bizarre. We're sticking to some industry norms. We're using sherry, we're using fortified wines, we're using European wines, but it's what we're doing about them. So Copper Alley is finishing 30-year-old Oloroso sherry casks. Again, quite unusual. Murder Lane is our 13-year-old single malt. That's finished in Tokai, which is a Hungarian dessert wine. So we used Hungarian oak casks that held some Tokai dessert wine previously and then matured it in that. It gives us this crazy tropical element. Again, we're the only Irish business um, using that at the moment. Actually, sorry, no, another one just did recently. So we were the first uh, until very recently. And then even the Keeper's Coin is uh, finished in Hogshead Pedro Jimenez casks. We have a 27-year-old single malt. Um, very rare, limited to 50 bottles globally. Uh, King of Hell, quite an evocative name once again. And that was finished in Premier Crew Bordeaux Red Wine. So a real luxury kind of lusciousness to that. Um, and that's sort of where the Liberties range sits. It's age, always aged, always premium, luxurious kind of Irish whiskey brand. And that's what we want to propel whiskey to. The beauty of having a variety of different portfolios that allows you to have sort of different strats and where, where you're going so for us Liberties you think Liberties think luxury in terms of Irish whiskey and not a lot of categories are, not a lot of whiskey brands are moving into that category and Scotch is there you know there's, there's room for our Irish whiskey to, to play in there and, and that's kind of where, where we see us positioning ourselves um, we still have Dubliner and Dubliner does a great job of, of, of bringing people into that Irish whiskey journey and of course Dead Rabbit facilitates uh, the cocktail culture and before we get into cocktails, when you describe the Liberties yeah. range, it sounds like you could, you know, pair them with food. Do you have any, like, can you yeah, describe yeah. I mean, what, like, food could go with them? All the food and all the whiskey. No, I, uh, like... Again, that goes without saying. That goes without but saying, if you wanted to have specific Yeah, food specifically. With- so... Again, one of the things I always talk about is people are very gastro-conscious. And we should apply that same critique to what we're consuming in terms of liquid. And wine has done a fantastic job of creating these food pairings. And one of the things that we should always remember when we talk about whiskey is that, yes, the flavor is 100% natural. You know, it's not like a gin where if I want to make it taste like lemon, I can add a lemon compound. Like whiskey, if it tastes like fudge and honey and caramel, that's because of the barley or the distillation or the wood. Mm -hmm. And these natural flavors then play on that. And one of the things I was talking about a lot is um, Ireland is famous for its cuisine. And I actually did recently had a whole group of Chinese importers of Irish oysters over. And the whole thing was combining the land of Ireland and the sea of Ireland together. So the land being the whiskey aspect and the sea being the oysters. So they were, we were in this room shucking oysters and then figuring out different ways to try the whiskey alongside them. And um, because a lot of the time they do this with champagne and of course, champagne being French, whatever else. So um, with whiskey, sp- so think about flavor profiles, right? If it's spicy, Okay, then try and pair it off like that. So with a spicier whiskey like our Oak Devil, I actually tend to use um, sushi or beef, carpaccio beef. When we're into heavily sherried whiskies, I'm thinking more along the lines of um, 
smoked cheeses. So really dark, like applewood smoked cheddar or a gouda or anything along those lines, like an after dinner style um, style. And then you have into like what we call rich desserts and chocolates again, really, really paired off well. So there's a big thing happening in London at the moment where you can like eat a curry out of half a pineapple kind of thing. Anything like, you know, those, have you seen yeah, this? Yeah. So we take that on board and we look at different food pairing alternatives, but like sashimi a lot of, it's the freshness that you want to bring. You want to bring fresh food, fresh food to quality whiskey a lot of the time. And, and people will have different preferences in food, but like if you get the richness and intensity of, uh, of, a, of an Irish beef stew with a really quality Irish whiskey pairing, then the two go phenomenally well and um, less bloated than drinking loads of pints. Yeah. Oh, it sounds amazing. But now those don't sound like they would go with cocktails. You wouldn't want to use those with cocktails. What of your mm. um, of your expressions would you say kind of lends itself to the cocktails and what kind of cocktails are you creating from them? Like cocktail culture is hugely important with, with Irish whiskey. It's part of the massive growth that we've seen. And we play, we work a lot with the leading mixology guys. I mean, thank God we work with the guys in the Dead Rabbit, like Gillian Vose, their director of drinks, has helped to create an entire menu of, of drinks that are available online. Um, DeadRabbitIrishWhiskey.com, I think, is the, is the actual website. And it teaches you how to make the various syrups and tinctures and all the things that you need. So Dubliner, um, based on its price points, is, is a great cocktail whiskey. It's your kind of well whiskey that you pick up and you do your... Um, you know, whiskey ginger ales and kind of much lighter styles of old fashions and whatever else. So in terms of that, it's it's a good base liquid to go with because it's quite sweet from the bourbon casks. You get that kind of honey and green apple sort of element to it. Uh, the liqueur is very playful. It makes it a terrific sour. And because it's slightly lower in ABV, it's only 30%, that's a really good one. And we see more people moving towards lower ABV styles. So that that's, that's something we've seen a big uptake in. Um, Dead Rabbit then is really for your 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 major mixology uh, person. They they can. We've done a number of launches, and what's been most impressive is the variety of drinks that have come out from this. And um, I was talking about the Dead Rabbit whiskey being kind of hybrid Irish American in style. It's got this incredible spiciness to it. We've matured it in bourbon, but finished it in 100 liter virgin casks, which like intensifies this sort of flavor. So you get this upfront big bourbon aroma with this soft soft softly softly uh, irish kind of melodic finish and we see people doing twists on rum drinks we see people going straight up with their standard bourbon cocktails but all the time then adapting and moving around with it and, and like one of the things i never tried to be is that fake you know fake till you make it something people often say but i'm way more like let the real pros get into that world and like what i've seen from living in london and even from ireland is that where the cocktail game is now like these people are chef esque in in terms of how Definitely. they how they create flavor. Um, you know, one of my one things is that I never use sugar syrup because I think sugar syrup just doesn't add anything. And they, and a lot of people now you see they're incorporating sweetness with their levels. And every component of the cocktail now is providing something rather than just adding up how many mLs are in the glass. So uh, traveling around, being being part of a global team and traveling around the world, looking at Dead Rabbit cocktails. There is no one drink that I could sit here and say sums up how the dead rabbit is served because I have literally seen and heard and tasted everything you could possibly imagine. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the level of complexity, but also simplicity at the same time. And part of being a really good mixologist is one creating a drink, but then being able to bring you through the kind of journey as to why 
and then also you know the hospitality aspect so dead rabbit when people think dead rabbit they obviously straight away think of the bar and the high standards and all the awards that they've won so they then want to kind of they feel a part of that kind of gang mentality and the awards cool. you've won and the awards that we've won of yeah course. yeah yeah all all the whiskeys we've all the liberties whiskeys are gold gold medal winning whiskeys we've had um the 16 year old which is called keeper's coin won an Irish, won a gold medal at the irish whiskey award the very prestigious uh, irish whiskey awards which is basically the oscars of all things irish whiskey uh cop rally has won numerous numerous gold awards for uh, spirits business the travel retail masters and it goes back to Daryl, you know, and he, like it's I can't can't harp on about this enough to have someone of the level of expertise and, and to be able to then produce the kind of whiskeys that we're producing. It, it is phenomenal. Um, and it's a great aspect of working with these guys is that you get to experiment and play around and, and then come out with some really interesting stuff. So on the Dead Rabbit thing, you know, we had the launch. They launched a book recently. They toured all around uh, Ireland from Barley to Blarney, I think it's called. <laughs> Cracking Reed. It's really, really good fun. Um, so we have a lot of contact with the two guys, Jack and Sean. And I think what often gets underrated or understated is the, is like why they did it, you know. And um, one of the inter- really interesting things is that they're not like people say oh, yeah, they did it for money, they do it for this and did it for that. Well, they definitely don't do it for money because the their the take that they do get uh, it was ten thousand euro, ten thousand pounds last year. They donated to a mental health charity in Belfast, which again is testament to the kind of people they are. Uh, Jack and Sean are very open with their own kind of mental health issues that they've had within the hospitality sector. And, um, you know, these these are the kind of people that you're dealing with, hugely driven, very, very, very ambitious, but also never forget their roots. They don't forget what's important. So um, within the Dead Rabbit Irish Whiskey, it's been cool because it's been, we have had people calling us asking for it, which is really bizarre because normally we're calling people saying, hey, we have a new brand of whiskey. Would you, you know, are you interested in seeing it? Like, no, we're not. <laughs> But Dead Rabbit, yeah, we want to talk about Dead Rabbit. We want to pick up the phone. And we'd like Finland. We didn't do any business with Finland. Like they just called us randomly and said, we want to buy 250 cases. We're like, great, cool. So the conversation slightly changed now. Um, this year we'll have launched Dead Rabbit into I think 14 or 15 countries, 15 US states, which is basically 15 countries, if you know the US. Yes. Three-tier system. So the world of Dead Rabbit is becoming much, much bigger. Uh, we just had a China launch. And they've already doubled their volume from the last year, which has been insane. They've really got behind the brand. Uh, there's a, a something that transcends sort of language barriers. You know, what they, yeah, some of the branding stuff they've done out there is really, really cool. And they've been able to take it to another another level. And the team over there are fantastic. So hopefully the next time, um, I, if that's the next trip on the, on the cards, will be, uh, be, be China, maybe. Who knows, further down the line. So, yeah. But before you go. Yeah. You promised to make me the best ever Irish coffee that I've ever had. Should we go make that? Let's go and do it. It was a fabulous Irish coffee. In fact, not only did I stay to have a coffee, but I spent the whole day there, and you'll hear more of that next week in this two-parter, all dedicated to the Dublin Liberties Distillery. But first, it's time for that hot cocktail of the week. A little history before the recipe for our cocktail of the week, the Irish coffee. In 1943, Joe Sheraton was chef at Foyne's Air Base near Limerick, Ireland. At that time, the Air Base was used to refuel for transatlantic flights. One evening, a flight had to turn back to Foyne's midway through the journey, and our chef Joe, feeling sorry for the passengers, decided to whip up something special for them. 
He had coffee, sugar, cream, and, of course, Irish whiskey. Thus, the Irish coffee was born that fateful night in 43. Here's how they do it, the Dublin Liberties way. Heat a glass with hot water until warm, then pour it out and add 50 mLs of Dubliner Irish whiskey, 10 mLs of Demerara sugar syrup, and 15 mLs of Amaro de Montenegro, and stir. Next, add 120 mLs of hot espresso coffee and stir again. Then gently pour cream over the back of a teaspoon until you have a thick, consistent layer. Lastly, grate some fresh nutmeg over the top for the perfect Irish coffee. Sure to keep you warm on those cold days. You'll find this recipe, more whiskey recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. I never liked an Irish coffee until I tasted one made with care. Jeff's was insanely good. Plus one at the Dead Rabbit in New York. Oh, and Bobby and Mia's at Swift in London. It's worth it to wait for the good ones. But isn't that true about everything? If you live for Lush Life, would you consider supporting us by buying us a coffee? Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash lushlife and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we are still here every Tuesday. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, the second part was mine. Next week, we'll be heading back to hell for a virtual tour of the Dublin Liberties Distillery and a tasting of a selection of their spirits. Until that time, bottoms up.